The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you're new here, we're glad you're here. My name is Chase, and I'm one of the pastors here. And you come right in the middle of a series that we are doing called Imago Day, made in the image of God. And so a few weeks ago, in January, we started this series and we began by talking about what it looks like to be the Imago Day and then how that's been shattered. And so we spent a couple of weeks on manhood, manhood shattered and then manhood restored. And now we've talked about womanhood shattered and today we're talking about womanhood restored. And then we will go on to talk about singleness and marriage and families and being on mission as we seek to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth as reflectors of the image of God. As we have tended to do in this series, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. But before we do, I I do have a question for you if you're parents. If you had a daughter, or let's just say you had lots of daughters, and each of your daughters could know and really understand and grasp just how beautiful they are in your sight, just how cherished they are, just how lovely they are, that they could rest in confidence in how you cherish them and how lovely they are to you so that they would never have to wonder, am I beautiful? They would never have to wonder, am I beautiful enough? They would never face the struggle of making sure others saw them as beautiful because they're beautiful and cherished by you that they would never literally or figuratively have to make sure that the camera was at just the right angle and they had just the right pose that in the workplace, at home, in school... They'd never have anxiety over how many likes they might get, literally or figuratively, that they would rest in confidence that they're beautiful to you. Any fathers here that would want that for their daughters? Maybe one or two or all of us. See, I want that for my daughter and and. And I hope that she has that to a degree, but I know as a human father that ultimately my word is not perfect and it will never be enough. But, but God, as our father for all of us who are in Christ, his word is perfect and it ought to be enough. And so ladies, as we talk about womanhood restored... You need to know that that's what God desires for you, that through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he sees you as clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ, as beautiful and as cherished in Christ, if indeed you are in Christ. So that's what we want to explore this morning as we talk about womanhood restored. And I want us to look at some questions that hopefully will help us frame our time together. So first question is this, what is the restored woman restored to, or what is the aim of 
of womanhood restored, this idea of something being restored means that there was an original state that was greater than the state that something is in now. So what is the aim of the restoration of womanhood or what is woman being restored to? Then the second question is, what is the restored woman restored from? Or why does she need to be restored? What happened that would cause her to need to be restored? And then the third question is, what does a woman who is restored look like in a particular place, time, and culture? I, I think we, we hit a bit on that first question in our intro, what is she being restored Two. See, there was a time, a moment, a place where women and men were in perfect, unhindered relationship with one another and with God. There was one man and one woman, as the story goes, and there was peace, contentment, unity, and harmony. God made man and woman in his image and made them male and female, and it was very good. There was work, but it was a pleasant work without a great sense of burden. And the man and woman could be transparent with one another and with God without a sense of vulnerability. They didn't have to hide anything from God or one another. As the author of Genesis states it, they were naked and not ashamed. They knew their identity was the children of God. So when we ask, what is woman being restored to? Ladies, the hope is, is that you would walk away from this place understanding that in Christ, if you are in Christ, that you're in fact one of God's children. And indeed, God does find you lovely because you are, if you're in Christ, clothed in his very righteousness, in the manifold beauty of his perfection. And understanding that... Understanding that can revolutionize the most mundane of days as you walk with Jesus as part of God's family, part of the body of Christ. That's what you want to be restored to. However, there is a very big problem. And that is what you need to be restored from. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any of the fruit of the trees of the garden, which no, God did not actually say that. And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree or the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you'll die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God doesn't know what he's talking about. See, he knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes. It can make you wise. And she ate and gave it to her husband who was with her. And they realized they were naked and all of a sudden they were ashamed and they clothed themselves with fig leaves. And then later in the chapter, there's this 
curse that the Lord pronounces on the serpent, the woman, and the man. And at the end of the curse of the serpent, which is beautiful, even before he speaks the curse to the woman, he speaks of this restorer who will come. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, that is, you're going to seek to rule over him, and rather he shall rule over you. See, this crafty little serpent comes along and he whispers things in our ears, maybe just as he did in Eve's. I'm sure you've never had the conversation in, the, in your mind. If God, if God really loved me, he would. And you just fill in the blank. Might be different for every one of us. Surely, surely God didn't say that in the Bible. And I mean, if he did, he couldn't have actually meant that. Well, he just knows we'll be just as smart as he is, like that could ever happen. He just doesn't want us to know. And in a culture and world where you can know just about everything as it happens, the idea of not knowing isn't very appealing. But I bet if you've lived long enough, there are some things that you know that you just wish you didn't, aren't there? See, Eve... Eve didn't trust God. Somebody asked me this week, they said, you're, you're talking to women. You, you feel like you're in touch with your feminine side? And I said, yes, I, I am. Our name is Laura, and we've talked a lot about this. See, there are three things that kept coming up in my mind, and I talked to Laura and some other ladies who are leaders in our church, and I know her seeking the Lord, and these three things kept popping up. See, we all need restoration from the fall. We need restoration from the brokenness of all humanity, but we need restoration from the sin in our own hearts. And so, for Eve, three things happened. She didn't trust God. She didn't trust God. Steve Timmis Author and pastor says, if, if you could sum up God's word to us in just two words from beginning to end, it might be these two words. Trust me. Trust me. And Eve, along with her husband Adam, did not trust God. A consequence of her sin, we see in the curse, is that she is going to grab for power and for control, and she's not going to get it. And because she grabs for power and control and does not get it, she is going to live with fear and worry. And it really all boils down to an amazing amount of self-centeredness or occupation with self. See, in the curse, in the curse, even away, she gets just what she wanted. She's left to herself and her strengths to manage life, she thought the forbidden fruit would satisfy. 
And here's the problem with that sort of thinking. No amount of sin is ever going to satisfy you because separation from God and others is not what you were made for. And that's what sin brings. It brings separation from God and others. So hear it again. No amount of sin will ever really satisfy you because separation from God and others is not what you were made for. See, when I was reading this, I kept thinking about that Katy Perry song where she says, you're going to hear me roar. And we just hear Eve roar. There was a song back in the 70s, I'm woman, hear me roar. Who, who sang that? Say it again. Yes, I'm, I'm not old enough to remember that. I, I appreciate y'all helping me. See, we see it early on. I am woman, hear me roar. And it doesn't make a very lovely sound. And so restoration is needed. See, this whole family is, is broken as a matter of fact. The man and the woman didn't trust God. They leave the best place they've ever lived. They're never going to live in nice places, the garden. Their first two children, one of them dies too young, and he dies too young because his brother murders him. You think Eve's pain was multiplied in childbirth? See, the whole family's broken. The serpent has ruined everything, and Eve needs his offspring, her offspring to come and crush his head. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to be this restored woman. We hear what she can be restored to. We know what she needs to be restored from. But before we talk about what she looks like, We've really got to lay a foundation of our identity in Christ that's true for every woman, man, boy, and girl who are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you can be in him freely through his blood and resurrection. If you are in Christ, you're a child of God. And this is so important for us all to understand if we're going to walk in this restoration. And why is that? You will never walk in restoration if you do not come to understand your new identity. You will never walk in restoration if you do not come to understand your new identity. And so a great place to understand that identity, and we're going to look there together, is in Ephesians chapter 1. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. And and we're going to look at what it means to be in Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to borrow some words from one of my favorite theologians named Laura Bowers. And that She gave at a women's retreat last year regarding our being in Christ and our adoption in Christ. And I think it's really, really important for us to see and to grasp the freedom that this truth brings as Ephesians tells us, that he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world. I hope you find it beautiful, this lovely, mysterious, amazing doctrine that Christ was always God's plan. Because what it means for you 
as ladies and what it means for us as men is that our adoption in Christ is not based on anything we have done or not done. We do not earn our adoption. Our adoption is solely based on the work of Christ on the cross, not on how we act or think or look or cook. We are chosen and blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It was purposeful and ancient. And verse 6 says, It was so that we might be to the praise of His glorious grace, that our lives on purpose in the significant and the mundane would be to the praise of His glorious grace. Here's how Laura said it to these ladies, that we are never without purpose. We are His. We have a goal to live to the praise of His glorious grace. The significant things to the praise of His glorious grace. The mundane things to the praise of His glorious grace. If you're teaching women about His Word, as Titus 2 tells you to do, it's to the praise of His glorious grace. If you're making school lunches or blessing a friend or blessing your husband if you have one or blessing a co-worker, being that woman of valor that the Proverbs 31 tells us about, it's to the praise of His glorious grace. If you're working out early in the morning, then you work out to the praise of His glorious grace. And if you're eating ice cream late at night, you eat ice cream to the praise of His glorious grace because He gives good gifts. So let's look at some of our identity as spoken in Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. See, if we as saints are faithful, we're faithful in Christ. It's by His grace, empowered by His Spirit for His glory. And we're the faithful in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just see if in Ephesians 1, He wants us to see how our identity is in Christ. Verse 3, He blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, there's this peace that we have, access to God through Christ because of his blood, because of his resurrection. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ or in Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. See, here's this reality that in Christ, your identity is that of the child of a father who cherishes you and in Christ, clothed in his righteousness, sees you as lovely because that's what Jesus is. Now, that's good news if you're a man, woman, boy, or girl. Verse 6 It says we're to be to the praise of his glorious grace with which, his grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption through his blood according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace are that the blood of Jesus, it's enough 
to buy us back. Laura and I, a couple of weeks ago, along with Raymond and Amy Jimenez, we were visiting some of our workers in the Middle East. And let me just tell you, by the way, we've got people in the heart of the Muslim world who are doing an amazing job learning the language, loving their neighbors. They're, they say they're learning the language for us. They're speaking language. They're translating for us. They're boldly sharing Christ, being light in a hard place. At the end of our trip, we had a 3 a.m. flight and we had a dinner meeting the night before in Dubai. And so we went to this big mall in Dubai and we're just walking around. It's, it's just massive. And as we're walking, we stumble through a jewelry section and there are these jewelry stores that are just not really for the Bowers family. And Laura says, this ought to be fun. Let's do some window shopping. And so we did. And so we walked up to this little store. You might have heard of it. It's called Cartier. And there's an emerald cut diamond ring that's big. (laughs) And it has a little price tag by it. And it's in dirhams, the currency. And so I pull out my calculator and do the math and I look and see it's only $580,755. So, you know, I just went in and said, would you take 50 down and 50 a month? And they said, no. It would have been lovely to buy that for my wife, but here's the reality. We weren't purchased with diamonds or silver or gold or roses or candy like some of you will get this Tuesday, perhaps. We were purchased by the precious blood of a lamb without blemish or spot. And in him... We have redemption through his blood, and we're the children of God. It doesn't just stop there. Verse 8, we read that this is grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will in accordance or according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. What's the mystery of his will? Well, if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, you would see here's the mystery that the Gentiles can come in, that God is bringing together from all over the world a multi-ethnic family adopted in Christ that is beautiful because we're all made in the image of God and in Christ then restored. See, there's peace, there's contentment, there's harmony with God and one another. Verse 11, because of this adoption in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. See, this keeps coming up, that we would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Christ, Christ dwelling in us and us in him is the hope of the believer and the means of our adoption and our inheritance. So we, as children of God, are now co-heirs with Christ. Well, how might it impact our lives, men and ladies, if we really understood this reality? Or as my wife asked these ladies, what would you not worry about if you really understood who your father is? What would you not worry about if you really understood who your father is? Money or illness? Will I ever get married? A job? Your husband's job? Will we ever get pregnant? Will I ever fit in that dress? I, I've never wondered that. <laughs> Will we ever have as nice a house or as nice a vacation as... As that couple does, will, will this relationship that's broken ever be reconciled? How differently our thought patterns would look if we understood what our inheritance is and who our Father is, what was purchased for us and what we've been redeemed from. Now, there's, a, I think, a great chance because these deep and profound truths in Ephesians 1... They sound kind of simple, and in a sense they are. And so there, there's a chance that, that we could hear this and think, yeah, yeah I, I, I got this, I understand, can we, can we move on, identity in Christ, right? And, and I need to politely say to us this morning that for women and men and boys and girls and in ways we don't realize and for many more of us than realize, no... You actually don't. We, we really don't understand our identity in Christ nearly as well as we should. I think because if we did, our lives might look far different than they do. We might think of ourselves far less and be frustrated by our circumstances far less and we would probably trust in Jesus and think of him and serve others and have our affections stirred for him a lot more. See, ladies, if, if you did, you might not dress inappropriately or gossip or live according to worries that cause you to pick on and at your husband. You might not do all the things you do to will to grab for power. And please hear me, it doesn't just look one way. It can look a variety of ways, but a couple of extremes are this. There's the woman who, not according to God, but according to the world, she knows she's beautiful and she can use her body to grab for power. And there are awful and explicit ways that women do that, but there are a lot more subtle Ways. Maybe it's in the workplace that a woman might use her body to get as much power as she can. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's among friends. Maybe it's almost as an intimidation of other women. 
And really what's happening is there's a little girl there that's just not secure in how much God loves her. So she's got to get as much power as she can. And what's so strange is there's a, another woman who looks at the brokenness of our society and just thinks, well, this place is dominated by men. And as a woman, I'm never going to be respected. So I'll start to dress like a man. And as a matter of fact, I see how men get power. They use profane language. And so I'll start to speak according to this brokenness of manhood and just use profanity. And I think at the worst extreme, even I will change my body to become like a man. And you need to hear if you struggle with that, you're free from that in Christ. And, and you don't have to do either of those things or a thousand in between because God loves you so much that he sent his son for you. While we were his enemies. See, if we understood our identity, we might live differently. You need to hear me, women. I know it's not true in this church of the men I'm about to talk about, of course. Men struggle with this too. There are men in Central Texas that they struggle with their security and control so much that they'll spend $3,000 on a deer lease and complain when their wife buys an $80 pair of shoes. I know nobody here does that. And we're talking about ladies anyway today. So what does a restored woman look like? What does she know? What does she understand? A restored woman has found in Jesus a man she can trust. He won't deceive you. He won't be deceived. He's reliable. And he doesn't come to your relationship out of need. He comes to create beauty. Trouble is, some, some of you have looked for that in, a, in another man. And he's not Jesus. Some of you, when, even when you read that, you grew up in a, in a home that was, it was so difficult that it would make it hard for you to understand how could I ever trust a man. Maybe your father was absent or maybe he just showed up at the big events like that would fill in for a lifetime of care Maybe he was verbally or physically abusive. Maybe he manipulated. Maybe he mocked. Maybe he deceived. Maybe he wasn't reliable. Jesus isn't like that. He won't deceive you. He won't be deceived. He is reliable. And then he doesn't come to the relationship out of need. Now, the tough part of that means you can't manipulate him. But the great part about that is that he doesn't come to the relationship out of need. He comes out of love, and he comes to create beauty. See, the restored woman trusting God can trust him so much that she'll consider it all joy when she faces trials, knowing that the testing of her faith produces endurance. The restored woman... 
Like 1 Corinthians tells us that by his spirit can have peace because she has the mind of Christ. She can rest in the beauty of being made in the image of God. The psalmist said it this way, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Or as Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, Greek word poeme, masterpiece, created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God planned in advance for us to do. The restored woman has found in Jesus a man she can trust, and she is secure knowing that she's been made in the image of God and remade because of Christ. A restored woman has found in Jesus a man that she can trust. A restored woman has found in Jesus a man she can and must relinquish control to. You can give yourself to him. And you must. See, he told his disciples this, if if any of you who does not renounce, or if, rather, let me try this again. I communicate with people for a living. <laughs> so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, the restored woman has found in Jesus a man she can and must relinquish control to. And really, isn't that the essence of trust? that you say to Jesus, here's my life and I'm just placing it in your hands. I, I surrender. I surrender this war for power, for control, and to rule. See, there's a great amount of rest in realizing that the universe doesn't revolve around or depend on you. There's another God, the real one, who's got it in control. Augustine of Hippo, great church father, said it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We try to grab for power and grab for control so that we will rest. And what we end up doing is trying to control all the things we can and not controlling the one thing we can, ourselves and our submission to God. And there's a whole lot of rest in relinquishing control. See, restored woman has found in Jesus a man she can trust. She's found in Jesus a man she can relinquish control to. And she's found in Jesus a security that would free her to not fear that which is fearful. In 1 Peter 3, there's this speaking of the women of old and a call of New Testament women to be like them and the, really the punchline or the tagline is so that you may not fear that which is fearful. There are all kinds of things in life that are going to make you afraid and it's in Christ that you can not fear what is fearful. That woman of valor in Proverbs 31 laughs at the time to come. And, and if you draw a line in America between the left and the right, there are a whole lot of people on both sides that are just living out of fear. 
What will it be like if these people come in? What will it be like if this guy rules? What will happen if this happens? Will I be secure? Will I be safe? Will I be allowed to love? And and no matter where you're standing, you might just be afraid. But the restored woman has found in Jesus a security that would allow her not to fear that which is fearful and that matters. And I love the way Jackie Hill Perry, a a Christian author and spoken word poet, says it. When fear informs our behavior, it sabotages our fruitfulness. See, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. There's nothing to be afraid of. But when fear informs our behavior, it sabotages our fruitfulness. Here's what happens. We come to Christ. We trust in Christ. We find life in Jesus. We begin to relinquish control. We're not afraid. And then a circumstance comes along or someone says something to us. And then we start asking this question, what what about me? But what about me? Are Are you caring for me, God? Or do you have this? And listen, God's, he's not afraid of a question. And the scripture's full of lament. I think it's okay to ask the question, what about me? But we better be ready for the answer. Have have you seen my son? Have you not heard? Do you not know that, that he left and came down here for you? Do you not know of the life he lived? Have you not heard about the false trials he endured? Have you not read about how he was beaten and spit upon and his beard was ripped out and a crown of thorns pressed in his head? Did you not know that he was raised up on a cross and then he raised up from the dead? Yes, I care about you. But what about me? Well, I've blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And if you're in him, you're my adopted child. What about me? I'm the one who didn't spare my own son. Will I not with him freely give you all things? And instead of resting in our father, we ask it more and more and more. And I think at the extreme, we become like one one of those little dolls you used to pull the string on and every time someone or some circumstance pulls your string you just say what about me what about me what about me see the restored woman is free from that the restored woman is free not to think about herself She's free not to think about herself because she can say with John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. The bride of Christ can rejoice at the bridegroom's coming. I've got to confess to you that I read more books on women in the last three weeks than I have in the last 30 years. And there was a common theme that kept coming up across 
theological lines and whether I was reading an academic book or more of a devotional book. And I kept seeing this theme that women want to be seen, they want to be sought, and they want to be secure. Nothing wrong with that. Those are all good things. And then this one book I read said they want to be seen and sought and secure, and we all want to be the beauty at the center of the story. And I, as I read that, that just kind of, kind of bothered me. And so, so the night I read it, we got our kids in bed, and Laura and I were laying in bed talking, and I said, why is this... Why does this bother me? And she said, well, being seen and sought is different than being at the center of the story. And she said, here's the problem, Chase. Adam and Eve were cherished. They were loved. And in Christ, the church is cherished and nourished. We don't want to be cherished. We want to be worshipped. And see, if he's the one who has seen us and who has sought us, then he is at the center of the story. And the restored woman is okay with this. Author and speaker Trillian Newbell says it this way, I am most satisfied in God when I think of him more, me less, others more, me less. When I decrease, there's great joy and satisfaction. That's Trillia Newbell. If you've not read one of her books, you ought to pick one up, ladies. She's got a great book on unity, another one called Enjoy, coming out, I think, this month. See, a restored woman is free to seek the kingdom of God. And in doing so, she's taking a different picture. She's taking a different picture because she understands. She can trust him. She can relinquish control to him. She is secure in him. See, Jesus said it this way. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. The birds of the air, they don't toil or spin They don't gather into barns and your father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And consider the flowers of the field, even Solomon. And all of his glory was not arrayed like them. They don't toil or spin and they're clothed. See, life is more than food and the body more is more than clothing. You're much more valuable. And your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Christ, you don't have to be caught up in making sure everybody around you sees you as beautiful because your Father does. And make sure that the world knows how beautiful Jesus is. Laura and I have some friends that I think typify how we do this. They live in another city, and we were, we were visiting them. And we went to take a picture when our time was over, and the wife says to the husband, grab my neck. And I said, what do you mean, grab your neck? She gets her husband to grab the back of her neck. Looks real casual, but he squeezes, makes sure all this is gone, you know? 
I was like, you got to be kidding me. I didn't know you could do that. Grab the back of my neck. Who's vain enough to think about that? I just lean forward so no one will see my double chin, okay? See, I think that's a great metaphor for life. Am I going to look good enough? Am I going to be seen as beautiful enough? And, and the answer is, in Christ, you already have been. So this restored woman is taking a different picture because she's showing people what Jesus is like through the way that she lives and the words that she speaks. See, what makes the pot beautiful is not that it's broken, but it's that even in brokenness, light can shine through it. So the restored woman as she trusts and surrenders to and rests in Christ, is being made in his likeness. Or as Tim and Kathy Keller say it, we are like him in his submission to the Father, and we are like him in his sacrifice to the church. We're like him when we trust and submit to the will of God, and we're like him when we lay ourselves down for others. See, a restored woman is serving others in love and laying her life down because she knows who her restorer is. One of my wife's dear friends, a lady named Allie that lives in Georgia, wrote a poem right before Christmas this year, and it was about the offspring of Eve that would come and it was kind of specific to Christmas but as I began to prepare for this message in early January I began to think about that poem and I asked Allie to rewrite this poem that deals with the weight that that Eve might feel if she could see it all today and this reality of her offspring who has come and we got some ladies at our church to read this poem so Let's listen to it together. I stand, head bowed in shame, the weight of every sin upon my narrow back. My sticky fingerprints, fruit stained, sin stained, are on it all. From the bombs that fall on Aleppo, to the machetes wielded in Rwanda, to the yellow stars pinned on Jewish coats, our holiness, Tarnished now from my fingers. Unkind words, selfish thoughts, pride, fear. Because I broke the perfect love. I cannot meet your eyes. I did not trust, so now none of us is trustworthy. I did not worship. Now we all worship ourselves. I disobeyed. I ruined his world. You stand there, blood stains on your skirt. I saw you clasp your son's dead hand as they took him off the cross. My sin. My fear. The shards of my shattered perfection killed your son. And yet you take my hand. Your gaze is light, as you say. Sister. He has done it. He took our fearful hearts and made them whole. He killed the snake that bit our heels. The weight of all our sin has fallen on him instead. And his back, wounded, is yet strong. His fingerprints, bloodied, are holy. And he has won. He has reason. You did not trust, but he is trustworthy. You did not worship, but glory in him now. 
You disobeyed, but he restored his world. You cannot break perfect love. It is broken through for you. See, there's the reality. The, the restored woman understands that the offspring of Eve has come. And his name is Jesus. And he offers hope and forgiveness and freedom and restoration. His love has broken through for us. So I'm going to ask you to do something in this moment. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and consider something. And ladies and men alike, I'm not going to ask you to respond today, but I'm going to ask you to consider something. Are you really embracing your identity in Christ as one of his adopted children, loved by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed by the Spirit? And is that identity... making you daily really trust Jesus and relinquish control to him and rest in his security because we'll never walk in restoration if we don't understand our identity. So you might for the next week or two or three just spend some time before the Lord. God, am I really... Am I really resting in this? God, will you help me to understand it? Maybe today you're just beginning to understand it. And we don't understand that in solitude. We understand it in community. So maybe over the next three or four weeks, ladies, you might reach out to Amy Jimenez, our women's minister who can be found on our church website or if you're in our women's ministry maybe to a bible study leader or discussion leader or maybe just a mature sister in christ man you might be wrestling with that and i'd love to visit with you and there are other men on our staff or our elders or leaders who would love to meet with you as well if we understand our identity we can understand that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and we are in him as children of God. So Father, we pray that this reality of our being in Christ would free us to really and truly trust your son. God, that it would free us to relinquish control and grabs for power and that it would free us to rest in knowing that we can follow you, that we're secure in you. God, transform us into the likeness of your Son for your glory and for our joy and for the joy of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. And you're dismissed.